coming up in the next couple of months, uh, there's going to be an end coming for many. (laughs) If you are a senior in high school, or you're in your last year of college, or maybe grad school, uh, this coming spring and beginning of summer will mark the end of your schooling. It will be over. It's uh, been a long haul, you know. You've, you've worked really hard. And then there's coming that day when, when you are going to walk across the stage and shake the hands of the professor or the dean or whoever and, uh, and then walk off the stage. And it's symbolizing I'm leaving high school, I'm leaving college, whatever, and now I'm heading forward to whatever is next for me. And it's a wonderful day, and yet there is a level of sadness when you come to the end of an era. Uh, you kind of reflect back and you think, it's been kind of nice. And we, together, are coming to the end of, well, we're coming to the end of this series entitled Courageous. Today is the last day that we'll be in the book of Joshua. And uh, if you've been with us, you know that every week we've had short little testimonies from people who uh, God has truly given them courage in their life. And I, want, I thought this would be a wonderful way to finish out the series with um, a couple who has been in our church for a long time. Over 40 years they've been a part of this church, and they've been married for even longer than that. And they want to share with you their story of how God has given them courage over the years. Watch this video. When Pastor Jeremy started his sermon series on courage, he asked some folks if they would identify times in their lives in which God provided courage. Bonnie and I thought of marriage. We've been married for 45 years, and throughout those years, God has been amazingly faithful to us. And in that faithfulness, God has given us the courage to confess our sins to one another, to walk through the hard times together, and to encourage each other. He has been so faithful. I don't think we realized when we exchanged vows 45 years ago, the challenges, certainly that marriage, our marriage would have along the way, but at the same time, how amazingly wonderful it would be. God has done far more than we could ever imagine. I can't imagine my life without Bonnie, and I can't imagine our marriage without Jesus Christ. Pretty awesome, huh? Yeah, we can applaud that. Well, we have been in the book of Joshua for 11 weeks. Uh, We've taken pretty much a chapter every single week, and today, as we plunge into the 11th chapter, the last chapter that we're going to go through, I would like to start at the end. What I mean by that is, if you have your Bibles handy, you can go to Joshua chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible handy, that's fine. We'll have the scriptures up here on the screen for you. But at the very end of Joshua chapter 11, the last verse, even more specifically, the last sentence of the last verse I'd like us to zero in on. Joshua chapter 11, verse 23, at the very, very end of that verse, 
This is the final sentence of that chapter. It says, thus the land had rest from war. Now there's something kind of soothing about those words. There's a lot packed into those words. I mean, to have rest from war. <laughs> you, you realize that Joshua and the Israelites have been fighting. And there's something really nice to know that the land now has this feeling about it. And the feeling about it is finally we have rest. Well, what makes those last seven words of chapter 11 even more profound is the historical background to what we have been covering down to those words. Uh, if you've been with us over the last 11 weeks, or most of them anyway, uh, you may recall some of the things that the Israelites have been through. If you have been with us, um, I didn't say this up front, but there was a final exam that you're going to have to take. Now don't get nervous, because if you're visiting with us and you feel like you're a little out of the loop, that's okay. You can just kind of allow the others to take the test, and you can learn as we go. Um, let me just kind of highlight some of the things by asking some questions to you so we can understand, like, what's the backdrop to the idea that now the land finally has rest. So to begin, the first question I want to ask you goes back to the second chapter of the book of Joshua, and it has to do with those two spies. Remember, the, before they even entered the land, the two spies went into the land to kind of scope it out. And there was somebody that hid them out. Here's the question I have for you. Who hid out the two spies? Now, before you blurt out any answers, remember this is a test, so don't look at the person next to you. Um, but I want to give it multiple choice for you, okay? Here are the three choices. Was it Rahab, Rachel, or Rehoboam? Normally, with multiple choice, it kind of helps you out. Okay, uh, anybody? Uh, well, how about all of you? Any, uh, you know who it is? Rahab, Rachel, or Rehoboam? Rahab, let's see if that's right. Yes, nice job. Okay. Uh, the next question has to do with um, the crossing of the Jordan River. So they knew they were going to go in, and here's the question. God stopped up the Jordan River, and two piles of stones from the Jordan were stacked as memorials that God had brought the nation from there on the other side of the Jordan River to here on this side of the Jordan River. And how many stones were in each of the piles? Remember that? Now here's your choices. Was it seven stones, 10, 12, 14, or 214? 12, you think? Let's see. Hey, nice job. You guys are doing so great. Okay, now, now they, uh, they're across the Jordan, and the first battle that they uh, had was the Battle of Jericho. And uh, let's see the question about the Battle of Jericho. The first battle that they faced was the Battle of Jericho. How many times did the warriors of the Israelites walk around the city each day for the first six days? So the first six days they had to walk around the city. Remember how, how many times each day they had to walk? Was it one, two, three, or four times around the city each day? Four, one, what's the answer? Hey, okay. You guys are doing, you know, I know it's, you know, I was just talking about school being over, and now I've got you back in school. 
So on the seventh day, they had to walk around the city how many times? Here's our choices. Was it five, six, seven, or eight times? So the seventh day now, they had to walk around the city more than once. Was it five times, six times, seven times, or eight times? Seven times. Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, I think I have one more question. Is that right, Charlie? Yeah. Okay. So now they're in the southern part of the kingdom. And uh, there was an amazing miracle that took place that we talked about last week that uh, when they were fighting all of these armies in the southern kingdom, there was a major, major miracle that took place. More major than the parting of the Red Sea. More major than the stopping up of the Jordan River. I don't know why this doesn't get more news and, uh, throughout the Bible. But, but anyway, uh, do you remember what that major miracle was? The major miracle was that the sun and the moon stood still in the sky. Remember that? It's so that the Israelites would have a whole extra day to fight all of these armies and have the victory over them. Uh, so we talked about all of these battles last week, and it's just amazing how uh, Joshua and the Israelites had one battle after another battle after another battle after another battle, and finally, uh, when they conquered the southern kingdom, it was like, okay, now we can finally take a little break. So they go back to Gilgal where they were hanging out and you think, okay, good. Wow, that's really nice. Well, no, 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 no. Really, they had just gotten started. Now they had more fighting and more war, which was ahead. The northern part of the kingdom still had to be conquered uh, before they could record those words at the end of chapter 11 that the land had rest from war. There was a lot more fighting that had to happen and the Israelites and Joshua were called to be courageous right up until the end. There was trouble brewing on the northern horizon. Joshua had gotten word that armies were gathering again to do battle against him. And it was more armies than the battles in the southern part of the kingdom. Go back to Joshua chapter 11 and verse 1. Let's see what's happening in the northern part of the kingdom. It says this, Then it came about, this is after the battle in the southern kingdom, it came about when Yabin, king of Hazor, heard of it, that he sent to Yobab, king of Madan, to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Akshaph, and to the kings who were north in the hill country, and the Arabah, south of Shinaroth, which by the way, Shinaroth is the Sea of Galilee, and in the lowland, and in the heights of Dor on the west, which by the way, Dor is all the way over to the Mediterranean Sea, to the Canaanite on the east and on the west, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Jebusite in the hill country, and the Hivite at the foot of Hermon, by the way, Hermon, Mount Hermon, way, way to the north, in the land of Mizpeh, they came out, they and all their armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore, with very many horses and chariots. I mean, it's like kings from here, kings from there, they're all gathering together, and uh, they're meeting together in order to fight against the Israelites, and you just get this picture like, oh, this is really intimidating, really intimidating. Let's face it, you and I, we face battles in our life. We do. 
And sometimes those battles feel insurmountable. Sometimes those battles feel quite intimidating to us. And so the first thing that I want us to see here as we unpack chapter 11 of Joshua is this. Be courageous when facing intimidation. Be courageous when you face intimidation. Look at what Joshua did. Or what all these kings did, I'm sorry, in verse 5. It says, So all these kings, having agreed to meet, came and encamped together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. Now, just to get an idea of the landmass where all these kings had come from, I have another map for you. Let me show you this. So basically everything, all the land that you see here, this is where they all came from. Uh, if you notice, just zoom in one, and you'll notice down in the lower corner, you'll see where the yellow line ends down in the corner there. That's Dor on the Mediterranean, all the way south there, way north of what we can now see on the map. And they all came to the waters of Miram. Let's show you where that is. If you notice, right here is the waters of Miram. It's a high altitude place, like 4,000 feet high. They all meet there to organize themselves in a way that says, how can we destroy the Israelites? How can we fight against the Israelites? And as Joshua recorded in verse 4, there were as many as the sand that is on the seashore. A huge battle array, equipped with horses and chariots. What do we do when it seems like the odds are stacked against us? What do we do when we encounter things in our lives that just seem so intimidating? Well, I say we do what Joshua did. We let God paint our reality. When it looks like, oh, everything around us, this is terrible, this is really rough, I don't know how I'm going to handle it. When these things are happening around us, we need to pause a minute and go, okay, well, what do we think God thinks about all of this? Or what's happening with God as it relates to all of these things that are happening around us? Look at what verse 6 says. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid because of them. It's like God was saying, I know, there's insurmount, you know, just thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of soldiers that have gathered together, but do not be afraid of them. For tomorrow at this time, I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. There are all these soldiers that God knew about, and Joshua knew about them too. And he says, listen, I've got this, and I've got you. Maybe in your life, you've experienced something that just feels like so intimidating. Like maybe you're in school and other students have been saying some things about you that it just cause you to be really anxious, like it's not right. What they're doing is, is not right. And then you just have to pause and say, well, what does God think about all of this? And what God, has said, what God says is, I've got this and I've got you. Maybe you're in 
uh, negotiations for custody of your children as, as your spouse and you uh, are going through a divorce and you hear some ugly things that are being said about you in the whole negotiation process and, and you think to yourself, this is not right. What is, how, can I, how, can I win? how can I have you know, fair time with my kids? Stop and think, well, what does God think? And what God says is, I've got this, and I've got you. Odds are stacked against you. And God says, I've got this, and I've got you. Joshua let God paint what is actually true. And he didn't have to be afraid of their intimidation. And when God painted it, Joshua then acted on the reality that God painted for him. In verse 7 it says this, So Joshua and all the people of war with him came upon them suddenly by the waters of Merom and attacked them. Joshua said, Okay, God, they way outnumber us, but okay, I'm going to trust you and I'm going for it. And he did. He acted in faith. When we face battles that are intimidating... We have to remind ourselves, remember how God views things. This doesn't take him by surprise. This isn't overwhelming to him. And then we must move ahead in faith, trusting in him that he's got this and he's got us. And we don't have to be intimidated. We can be courageous till the end. Well, secondly... We need to be courageous when the battle is long. You ever feel that way? Man, I just, I feel like I've been fighting this for a long, long time. Joshua fought those kings and those armies. And it wasn't easy. It didn't just happen quickly. And look at the outcome of all of this. Jump over to Joshua chapter 11 and verse 12. Joshua 11 and verse 12 says this, Joshua captured all the cities of these kings and all their kings, and he struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed them, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. Moses, the servant of the Lord, years earlier had said, listen, you've got to go in and you've got to conquer all of this land. Matter of fact, um, it was the Lord who told Moses to tell the people of Israel these things. If you jump back to Numbers chapter 33, Numbers 33, uh, you don't have to turn to it in your own Bibles if you want, you can. I'll have it up here on the screen. Numbers 33, beginning at verse 50. Listen to what the Lord said to Moses. Numbers 33, 50. Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you cross over the Jordan to the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their figure stones and destroy all their molten images and demolish all their high places. Those are all the places of worship to false gods, to pagan gods. And you shall take possession of the land and live in it, for I have given the land to you to possess it. You know, it wasn't just about conquering the land. It was about standing up for God in a land that had no regard for him. 
It was about standing up for God in a land that actually was opposed to the things of the Lord. That practiced things that, were, that God frowned upon. I would go even further than that and say they did things in the land of Canaan that were absolutely evil in the sight of God. And Joshua and the army, and his army, was to go and wipe that all out of the land. Matter of fact, to be very specific as to what the issue was, I want to take you to Psalm 106. Psalm 106, verses 37 and 38. Listen to this description of what was happening in the land. Psalm 106, 37 and 38. It says, They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons and shed innocent blood the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with the blood. This past week, Jill and I went and saw the movie Unplanned. Heard about this movie? It's a movie that highlights the abortion industry in the United States. And... Honestly, as I watched it, I, could, I couldn't stop crying. I just couldn't stop myself from crying. This fight for life. Our sons and daughters, their blood is on our land. It's an injustice in our world. And it's been a long battle. I mean, it goes back decades. I've shared with you how my dad, and now he's getting old, he doesn't do it as much, he's almost 82 now, but will stand out every Saturday for decades, standing up for life in our society. It's a fight for what's right in God's eyes. And it's not the only fight. I mean, in our land, we there's... The trafficking of people. I mean, get it. Uh, you know, a person selling another person to another person so that they can treat that person in an evil way. It's happening all around us. It's wrong. I, I think of the, the, the selling of illegal drugs and the drug abuse epidemic that is even in Manitowoc. Over the last few years, I have done too many funerals of young people who have died from a drug overdose. It's wrong. And these are battles that if we don't stand up for God's justice in our day and age, who will? Who will? We have got to stand strong on what God says is right in our world. And I realize it can be exhausting. You can kind of lose your edge about it or your passion for it because it's hard and it feels like the cards are stacked against us. But you know what, you and I, we're, we're a part of a chain, really. I mean, generations ahead of us had to stand up for God's righteousness and God's justice in a world that went against them. Uh, they, they had to stand up for that in their generation. 
and, and we have to stand up for God's righteousness and justice in our generation and pass it on to whoever is in the link in the chain after us. And this chain goes back. I mean, it goes back. God has had his people on this earth to stand up for him in our world all the way back to Joshua and even before Joshua. And the battle has never been easy. It's always been a challenge. We're called to fight. Fight for the Lord in our generation. Joshua was fighting for the Lord in his. Notice the description of these battles down in Joshua 11 and verse 18. It says, Joshua waged war a long time with all these kings. This wasn't something quick. These battles for the northern part of the territory, the promised land, didn't take weeks or months. These were battles that took years. No one knows exactly how long, but it was way longer than the battles in the southern kingdom. Our battles, whether if they're fighting for God's justice in our day and age, or if they're personal battles that we face, like a long-time battle with a, a chronic disease, or you're fighting for your marriage, you just feel like you have to keep fighting for your marriage, or, or you've been praying for such a long time, you've been doing the battle on your knees for someone that you love, that they would come to know Jesus, and you just wonder, God, are you hearing my prayers for my loved ones? These battles can be long. The battle with whatever you're facing. I want to remind us when it feels like those battles are long and we're wearied from the war. Know this, that God knows our battles and He is in control. God knows the battles that we fight and He is in control. Look at verse 19. There was not a city which made peace with the sons of Israel except the Hivites living in Gibeon. They took them all in battle. For it was the Lord, it was of the Lord to harden their hearts to meet Israel in battle in order that he, that would be Joshua, might utterly destroy them, that they might receive no mercy, but that he, Joshua, might destroy them just as the Lord had commanded Moses. All of those kings knew about the God of Israel. And they knew that he was real and that he was powerful. I mean, they were there when the sun and the moon stood still in the sky. They, they witnessed that. They knew that that was because the Israelites were fighting the kings in the southern kingdom. No doubt word got to them that when the Israelites were fighting those nations in the southern kingdom, that, uh, that hailstones, God was sending hailstones down and really wiping out the armies in front of the Israelites. No doubt that word got around. They knew about the Jordan River being stopped up so the Israelites could cross over. And it was well known in that whole area that when the Israelites left Egypt so many years earlier that God parted the Red Sea so that they could walk through. They knew about God. They knew about the God of Israel. And all of these years, God has offered them grace. 
grace to respond to him. And now, the day of God's grace came to an end. God knew that they would harden their hearts against him. And he was witnessing the hardening of their hearts even now. And therefore God, in alignment with their own inclinations and their own free will, said in a sense, okay, if that's the route you want to take, then there's going to be a battle. And you will lose. And he hardened them all the more so that they would fight. And they would fight until their death and meet their demise. We face battles in our lives, don't we? We face battles, you and I. Struggles. Maybe family members reject you because you've decided to follow Jesus. Maybe you're being marginalized in some way because you're known to be a Christian. Battles are long. And battles are hard. And if we're honest, when we're interacting with people around us in these struggles, it's like they seem to have hard hearts against us or against our Lord. But be reminded of this truth. God knows and he's in control. And therefore, be, in, be courageous until the end. Keep being courageous. Well, third, be courageous when facing giants. I mean, just when you think, okay, wow, they're, they're done, you know. They've been doing all this fighting and, and now they finally get to take a break. Uh-uh, we're not to the end of the chapter yet. It's like, no, no, there's more fighting that has to happen. Look at verse 21. It says, Then Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim from the hill country. By the way, the Anakim were the giants in the land. Uh, massive, monstrous men who were super powerful. From Hebron and Debir and from Anab, which by the way is that southern kingdom, and from all the hill country of Judah and from all the hill country of Israel. That would be all the land that Joshua had conquered already. And Joshua utterly destroyed them in their cities, with their cities. There was no Anakim left in the land of the sons of Israel. Only in Gaza, Gath, and in Ashdod, some remained. Big mistake there, by the way. Verse 22. When God says, wipe them all out, he has a reason. And not wiping them all out, there seen in verse 22, would come back to haunt them. Because there would be an Anakim, a giant, that would be born in Gath many, many years later. And he would wreak havoc on the Israelite people. But God would raise up a man of small stature, and he would do battle with that giant. Remember the story? The historical account? That giant's name was Goliath. And David 
is the one who fought him many years later. Just read about it yourself if you'd like in 1 Chronicles chapter 20. Giants! The average height, I just heard this this past week, I don't know how they came up with this, but the average height of an Israelite back in that day was of a male was somewhere between five foot five and five foot six. And uh, um, the Anakim, the giants, they were humongous. I mean, like monstrous compared to them. Uh, Goliath is known to be nine feet tall. I mean, some say six and a half feet, but somewhere between there someplace. Uh, huge, huge guys. And uh, back in Joshua's day, when Joshua, before he was a leader, he was actually a spy for Moses. There were 12 spies for Moses that would spy out the land uh, before Moses would die and Joshua would go in. And uh, Joshua and Caleb were two of those 12 who, who didn't see it this way, but 10 of the 12 spies uh, described these giants back in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 33. Let me just read this to you quick. Uh, these spies said this of the Anakim. They said, there also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, that would be the Anakim, are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. I mean, we saw them and we knew, boy, we are just tiny to them. And so we were in their sight. They saw us as tiny too, like little insects that could just be squashed. The giants, the powerful, those who instill fear, be courageous around them. The bullies at school, be courageous around them. Those who throw their weight around, be courageous. Be courageous until the end. These battles that we face, when we just think they're over, there comes another one again. I think of the word relentless, just never ending. But as we face all of these battles, remember this, know this, rest is coming for God's people. Rest is coming for God's people. Look at verse 23. So Joshua took the whole land, according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Thus the land had rest from war. God gave Joshua, toward the end of his life, rest from having to keep being that military leader. Keep fighting and keep fighting and keep fighting. Matter of fact, we have a description of what God called Joshua to do at the end of his life. If you jump over to chapter 13, Joshua 13, verse 1, it says this, Now Joshua was old and advanced in years when the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years. Stating the obvious, I guess. And very much of the land remains to be possessed. Joshua, you did a great job. You possessed so much of that land, and yet there's so much more that needs to be possessed. And then he lists some of that land that has to be taken, conquered. But then if you jump down to verse 6, the Lord says to 
to Joshua these words. He says, All the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon, as far as Mishrathoth, Maim, all the Sidonians, I will drive them out before the sons of Israel. Notice he doesn't say, I will drive them out through you, Joshua. No, you're done with being a military leader. You get to rest. But it's not like you're not going to serve a purpose for me. You continue to be able to serve a purpose for me. As a matter of fact, God is not done with us serving him throughout our entire life until we get to see him face to face. And quite candidly, he'll allow us to serve him for all of eternity. But he's not done with them. Here's his purpose for the remainder of his days. Only a lot to it to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. In other words, divide up the land, Joshua, for the 12 tribes of Israel and make sure that they're all divided where they all need to be on this land which I had promised. And that's what Joshua did for the remainder of his days. God would raise up other leaders to go into battle, to conquer more land, this land that God had promised to them. It wouldn't be Joshua, but it would be these leaders that he would raise up. And we know those leaders in biblical history as the judges. The next book in the Old Testament is about the judges. Maybe someday we'll dive into that and go through that as another series down the road. But those judges were who God would raise up as the military leaders following Joshua. Until our days are over, life will not be easy. Matter of fact, Jesus said it himself in John 16, 33. He said, in this life, you will have tribulation. We will face battles. We haven't entered into his rest yet. We haven't gotten to paradise yet. We haven't seen Jesus face to face yet. Whatever you're facing, whatever battle you're in, know this. Rest is coming for God's people. Rest is on the horizon. Until that day, Fight the good fight. Be a good soldier of Christ. Walk by faith and not by sight. And be courageous until the end. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. We don't have to live this life alone. Thank you, Lord, that you're with us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, no doubt there are people in this room who are facing different battles. By your Spirit, I hope before you, Lord, they have heard. They don't have to be intimidated because you've got this and you've got them. Lord, thank you that even though our struggles seem to be long, 
You know what we're going through. You're near to the brokenhearted. You're near to those who struggle. You're near to all of us, Lord. Strengthen us with the truth that you know and you're in control. God, help us. Help us to be good soldiers for you, no matter what we face. Until that day when we see you face to face and we enter into your rest, may we be a strong link in this chain. A strong link. We're courageous in our day and age. For you, your justice, for your righteousness. God, that we may pass the torch to the next generation to come behind us. May you find us faithfully following and serving you in this day. And we praise you, God for your love and your care for us. May our victory be found in you alone.